Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. So it is the afternoon of Tuesday, the 3rd of December, which is one of my oldest friend's birthdays. So happy birthday, Brad. You're only 39 once. I am on my way to record the second of our special podcast series talking to the candidates to be London's next mayor while going for a walk. Today I'm going to go and meet Sean Berry, the Green candidate and co-leader of the Green Party. I am also haven't been working from home this morning. The fact that I'm meeting her at uh, Manor House presented a rare opportunity to get on the London Overground from Bethnal Green up to Stamford Hill and to walk from there. This is very exciting for me, having written a piece today that arguing that we should be giving the London Overground Network different line names. And I just want to get an excuse to use this line. Somebody suggested that uh, this line, the, the one that goes from Liverpool Street up through Seven Sisters onto Enfield Town and Chestnut, should be called the Ermine Line after Ermine Street, which is a Roman road. So there you go. You learn things on this podcast. Anyway, I'm going to stop recording before anyone else on this train starts thinking I'm a bit weird. And uh, I'm going to meet Sean shortly. It's very exciting. I am here in a very nice cafe next to Manor, Manor House Tube Station, about which I feel I should say two things. Firstly, it's one of five tube stations named after pubs. Secondly, it's one of the few that doesn't have any buildings at ground level. So, you know, this wouldn't be this podcast within the tube facts. Anyway, I am here with Sean Berry, who is co-leader of the Green Party and the party's candidate to be Mayor of London in the 2020 election. Hello, Sean. How are you? Hello. Very good. Thank you. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you. Thank you for agreeing to, to spend an hour or two walking with me. You were the first to agree, Actually, yeah, that kind of helped me pressure a couple of other people into it. So I like I like this sort of thing. I'm always trying to pressure my dad into going a bit of a walk, a bit of a walk with me. Is he, is he much like of a walker? Or? Well, it, it, he's got a bad knee, so not yeah. so much these days. But yeah, basically, going on a hike is what I like to do. So as soon as someone offered to go on a hike with me, I was up for it. Yes, yeah, I mean, if any time I can like go for a walk and call it work, that's, that's yeah, the exactly. ideal way to spend exactly. a, spend a day. Really. Anyway, we're going to do we're going to do two or three miles across North London. Why did you pick this bit of town? Well, you were on the lookout for places called Green, I and, was. and you had suggested <laughs> the Greenway and Green Park and things like that. And I Love really, I really didn't want to just stick to leafy bits of London. I thought I wanted to walk through some some interesting 
more sort of developed bits of London so we can see some of the issues that I'm working on. Things like traffic, we'll see plenty of traffic today. Regeneration schemes like Woodbury Down, which is right by where we are. And then we're going to sort of head down towards Hackney where they've done a good job of taking away some parking spaces I'd like to show you. <laughs> okay, now I'm very excited about it. anything we can do to get their parking spaces. So there's plenty to see and there's nice places to get coffee on the way and blah blah blah. And we should probably explain the joke is we're going to walk down green lanes. Yeah which we probably need to make that explicit. It's a very long road in North London from, from Newington Green all the way up towards Haringey called Green Lanes. We're going to do part of that. Look, we're going to talk a little bit on the way. We're going to chat about Green Party policy afterwards and what you, what you would do for this city. But I kind of like to sort of ask up front, you know, we're recording this nine days before the general election, so by the time you lot hear it, you will know the result. Please keep it to yourselves for now, I can't bear the depression. I kind of want to know, what's, what's the Green Party for? In that we have quite a difficult electoral system for small parties. So the question in my mind is, are you guys sort of hoping to sort of build a base and gradually work up towards like being able to get real power at local level and then maybe national somewhere down the road? Or is it more of a kind of electoral pressure group in which you kind of hope to get the other parties, the bigger ones who are contending to be prime minister maybe, to actually pay more attention to kind of climate issues? Well, I've always been a campaigner and so I, I know how to get other parties to take notice of, of more campaigning and pressure and, and arguments and things. And then as a politician, I know that they listen even harder when someone's taking away their votes. So that's the other part of the work I do, is I try and make sure that we're, we're winning some seats, we're winning votes, that the other parties have to listen because they're worried about us. And I think you're seeing that from the Labour Party recently. So it's, it's good to see that they keep shifting as much as, as the possible in our direction. And, and the Mayor of London's been doing the same as well. He's worried about us winning more votes. So that's a good thing to do. But actually, you know, in all honesty, we do want to be helping to run things. We do need to fix the electoral system. And in areas around council, Councils around the country, we are doing that. We're we're working a bit more cooperatively with other parties on which seats we target. We're winning majorities away from Conservatives, and we're actually running some councils. So Lewis Council is an example of that, and Waverley Council, Forest of Dean, Stroud. These are places that we're also targeting for um, the general election. But these are places where we're working with other parties to run the council, and sometimes we've done that through through working in very broad coalitions. I think Waverley Council. In Surrey is when we we work with Labour and the Lib Dems and and the independents there to put together a new administration that's going to be much better than the old one. And you are at time of speaking, you guys are in a, the, the Remain Alliance. You, the Liberal Democrats, and Plaid Cymru, the Welsh Nationalists, are kind of standing down for each other in a few places. We've done that in a quite a limited way in this election, but it isn't dissimilar to what what people have been doing in councils as it's, well. It's and sometimes we've included Labour in that. Yeah, I just wish Labour would get on board. I mean, they are they mm. Labour support first past the post, which makes no sense. I mean, it makes sense insofar as it's kind of often delivered a Labour government. But Maybe not quite as often. All the rest of the time, there's a Conservative yeah. government. I mean, they have to recognise that we'll more often mm. have a decent government with a proportional system. And the moment, it's either them having all the power or the Conservatives, and that's not helping. Well, as I say, we're still nine days off the election. It is. We'll, uh, so we'll this, see what the actual yeah, situation is. It is possible that we're about to get our third hung parliament in four elections. It's also possible we're about to get a stonking Greek Tory majority. Wait and see. In the meantime, should we go for a walk? Yes. Lovely. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So we're about halfway through our walk. It started with a certain amount of disorientation as we stood on the street corner and argued about which way was south. But we, we eventually got there. Been past the Woodbury Down Council Estate, which is currently in the middle of a regeneration effort. We've been past the uh, the park in Stoke Newington, the one which has momentarily escaped me. Can you remember this? Chris Old Park, thank <laughs> you. And we're now sat on a bench on the New River Path, which is on top of a 400-year-old effectively canal, which was built to supply London with water from up in Hertfordshire. And we've been talking about all sorts of interesting things. So let's let's try and actually sort of do some of that on tape. So you have strong views about Woodbury Down, don't you, Sean? Yes, I do. And I think I think Hackney Council get away with pretending to be like the nicest. Labour Council and not as bad as Southwark or Lambeth when it comes to regeneration but I ran the numbers on the net loss of homes from regeneration and Hackney came out you know, in the bottom three there's a lot of lost council homes from Woodbury already there's more planned in the future phases as well so yes I've been supporting the local Greens in, in helping the residents who want to resist just any further demolition there. I mean architecturally I think they're doing quite nice things of it it's quite a nice space it's next to two reservoirs some of the buildings are like, I mean, they don't look too horrible, which is what you can really hope for with this stuff. There's some quite nice buildings. I mean, what's what's wrong with it? Surely they're doing a good job, aren't they? Should, should it all be council homes? That's the point. I mean, I just yeah. checked the, the council homes that were there before and the social housing that was there after, and there's a net loss, and there shouldn't be, because there is space to do something good there. I do recognise that there haven't been grants and that councils have had to try and pay for these schemes themselves, but I think there are other options. There are ways to do it, and it just isn't good enough to have a net loss of council homes when we've seen so many lost through to say right to buy and you know new new grants that should come forwards whoever the government is when we currently when you hear this should mean that we can put more council homes into schemes like that and the new ballots for residents that I've won off the mayor that should mean that schemes don't get given the okay unless they do properly replace things and do work with residents in a, in a more engaged way yeah like there's lots of advertising hoardings all around the Woodbury down the state 
basically sort of like advertising it as if it's like posh Docklands flats from the 90s. It's very much aiming at the, at the sort of yuppie buyer market, I think. Is there an example of estate regeneration you'd actually point to as a sort of as a good one, as something that's gone, that's gone well and delivered for existing residents? So everyone turns up at Leather Market J&B, which is in Southwark, and that's a place where they've taken essentially what was the old car park and garages and the residents themselves, this is a, this is a tenant managed organisation that runs it. They came up with the idea that, that they would build flats for, for retired people who were in larger flats in the tablocks around so they could move into these new flats and, and free up larger homes. And it's worked an absolute treat. Everyone takes you around there. But there is, a, I mean, in Camden where I'm a councillor and they, you know, they complain at me for complaining at them for some of their schemes. But the scheme at Maiden Lane in York Way, just north of King's Cross, there they did knock down one block and it was the, the area around the car park and they put in lots of new homes. So it's very dense and, and the residents are not necessarily completely 100% happy with it. But it seems to me like it's the, the minimising the loss and maximising the gain approach that you could get somewhere with. I would have liked to have seen it you know, more engaged with the residents and them designing it and, and more council homes there, obviously. But I think that's definitely a definitely better approach of only partially demolishing and making space where, where there's unused bits like car parks. I sort of don't envy the councillors who have to deal with these schemes. It is a bit Hobson's choice. Like They're under pressure to build homes, they're under pressure to balance their budgets and their biggest asset is, is their land a lot of the time. And they're, they're sadly not under as much pressure as they should be to protect their existing residents. So they tend to be the ones who kind of get thrown they under the bus a little bit. But we've run a huge campaign. We've won this right for residents to, to veto mm. schemes that, that, that they don't like when there's demolition involved. That should make a difference. And the idea of it is not so that they can veto. The idea is that the the potential veto means that the council has to work with them from the start in the right way and we get better schemes as a result. That's the goal here. Where are you guys on, on reforms to the private rental sector? Because a lot of people listening to this podcast will be in the private rental sector, as I believe are you. I am. I've been ever since I came to London. and I, I'm not sure I'll ever get out of it. And it's not, it's not necessarily something I want to do. I would like to have somewhere secure to rent for the rest of my life, for my, my dotage. And I don't necessarily want to buy. I don't necessarily want a mortgage at this stage of my life. And I think we, we are lacking rights. I, I could be evicted within two months notice the government still hasn't brought through promised legislation to abolish section yeah, 21 been promising that a while and it hasn't happened no they've, they did a consultation they've sat on that and obviously parliament got dissolved but i think they recognize that it's necessary now that residents have the right to enforce some kind of like decent standards of was it the homes fit for human habitation act so it seems like they will do it but even when that's in place they could still hike the rents and so I've been working to try and get rent controls as the final bit of the final right the right not to be turfed out of your home just by the, the landlord hiking the rent and then we might have some security what I'd live, really like to see more of is co-ops more community-led housing organizations where the residents themselves control it I think that's where real justice lies what kind of model for rent controls are you in favor of because there's a number of different ways of doing it right I, d I don't know yet. Um, Neff did some good work on behalf of the mayor. Um, the New Economics Foundation. Sorry, New Economics Foundation. So a year, a year ago, I had a right go at the mayor in Mayor's Question Time for lacking any kind of progress on rent controls, despite implications in his manifesto in 2016. And he was, he was quite like, well, we're not going to get rent controls. I'm not going to talk to the government. But then within a month, he commissioned New Economics Foundation to do some, some work and decided he was going to start lobbying the government for, for rent control power. So I think even he recognises that he needs to do something now. Various options are laid out and there's a good table of pluses and minuses and there's no, there's nothing with no minuses. And I think if we do something that's any kind of economic shock to landlords, we also need to provide them with some kind of safety net. And we've found out that there's 135,000 children living in temporary accommodation. 
this winter. We have to get more of those children who are living in bed and breakfast into proper homes. And one way of doing that is to rent, to lease proper homes from landlords who might be thinking of leaving the sector because of something like rent controls or Brexit, which is the other question, the other thing, the economic shock that might hit landlords. And I think we need to be putting a proper programme in place to, to do that as well. Yeah, it's, it's easy to, to be mean about landlords and also it's fun. But it is kind of worth remembering that for a lot of, for a lot of these guys, this is their pension. If, if the buy-to-let bubble is unwound in the wrong way, you could be causing uh, a different kind of crisis, couldn't you? Yeah, the so. housing market, if, if there's any kind of shock to the housing market, it needs a soft landing. And I think we, we need more affordably rented homes. And I think landlords, we're looking for their pensions um, to be provided by an investment that they've made in a home might well be up for these kinds of 10, 15 year leases with councils who can then rent them out as, as essentially council homes. I think that'd be the right thing to try and put together as mayor. We should move on in a second, not, not least because I'm slightly concerned about the traffic noise and have no idea how much of this conversation is audible, but we shall find out. But I also just want to mention that as we were walking along, it's a very nice evening actually, it's very clear, very bright, lovely sunset. As we were walking along, you were, you were trying to sort of measure the air pollution we were going past. I tried to um, look it up on the London yeah. Air website because there was a lot of traffic and there are a couple of hotspots on some of the junctions, but at the moment on a, on a day like tonight, it's... it's yeah, we're doing it's, all right. It's, 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 yeah. it's okay, you can go, you can go yeah. for a walk, people. Yeah, so... But, I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about air pollution as kind of a policy area for you guys? Yeah, so the, the current mayor is bringing in a I'm new... I'm enjoying the thing where you're not naming him, by the way. I'm enjoying that very much. <laughs> the current mayor yeah. is what I like to call him, yes. So the current mayor has a plan to introduce a new, wider ultra-emission zone from, well, effectively in, in another year's time. But that'll only go to the north and south circular. And so we'll cover this area, but there's whole areas of outer London where there are hotspots at junctions, there are very high pollution levels that won't be covered by the mayor's scheme. And I cannot understand why he didn't bring it in across the whole of London, because we already had a camera system on the boundary of London for the, the main low emission zone. Instead, he's creating this extra boundary. And I think, he's, I think in the end, he's going to end up extending it and, and it won't last that long, this new north-south circular thing. I think it's a fudge and he shouldn't have done it. I mean, I don't quite understand why the current mayor is that fussed about voters in outer London because they're not, they're not his base, are they? They're not the ones that are going to re-elect him next year but if he no, does get re-elected. There's no need to make them breathe dirty air when they, yeah. when they shouldn't and when it's illegal. Yeah, so. but they like driving, don't they, in outer London? That's the problem. Well, we need some investment in outer London as well yeah. to, to cut down on the driving. Oh, well, Wolfram Forest is a good example of, of that working out quite well in terms of the mini Holland that was up there. We need those kinds of schemes right across outer London. Okay, well, we, I, I want to save uh, transport more generally for the, the next bit because that's obvious. You've got to keep you've got to keep them interested. Transport's what my listeners are here We're for. We're going to visit so. a very exciting new thing, which is a, a parklet. I can't wait. Let's go look at a parklet. <laughs> so we've, we're at the end of our walk. We're in. Um, Princess May Rose Community Parklet, which is, I mean, it is, it is a parking space that's been turned into, into a park, and it's, it's very cute. It is, I will admit, it's slightly smaller than I was expecting. I hadn't quite registered <laughs> it was a single parking space, but it's very nice. There's some pot plants. There's a, there's a slightly sad-looking undecorated Christmas tree, and it's all outside the house, of, of apparently, of, of Hackney Council of so that's actually I probably shouldn't include that because I'm, I've just doxed him. But it's on, a, on an otherwise unassuming street in Hackney, and it's actually in remarkably good nick because some of the newer ones that are going up in Islington are sort of fancier. They've got more sort of mm. metal work and things holding them together, but they they're getting a bit more bashed up as well. And this one's 
just looking pretty good. It's very lovely. I, I would say fa fancy is not quite the word for it, but it's it does its job. It does its yeah, job admirably. But fancy can be can be vulnerable to to, to scuffing, mm. whereas this is just nice and homely. It's got big railway sleepers on the edge. So you were saying just as we finished that you you spend a lot of time walking. Walking is kind of a big thing for you, right? I do. I do. I like to walk through London, particularly central London. If I if I can get from one place to another on foot, I'd much rather do that than get on a bus or get on the tube within central London. And I know my way about now as well. I know which bridges to take and all of those kinds of things. So yeah, I can pretty much get to where I need to, to do on foot, and it's just it's good for you. How big a role do you think like increasing the amount of walking has to play in? In, in transport policy for a city like London? Like, is it something that we should be giving more, more attention to? Yes, absolutely. So you've got the, the hierarchy of, of transport and you have to start with walking and cycling provision and then move on to shared transport and the most efficient forms of that when you can, like trams and buses, uh, shared cars when, when you absolutely can't provide those before you start concentrating on, on private transport and if you get that hierarchy right you can you can have a sustainable city you can have very high populations doing lots of movements but yeah it's, it's walking you should be focusing on and we don't do enough walking like infrastructure we don't think about it yeah there's, it's particularly in sort of like within central London I've known people who will take the tube automatically even if it's just as quick on foot because they just don't know the geography. Yeah. So that's the sort of thing you can you can improve work on with yeah. better signage, right? The Greg Greens invented those those posts with the you know, this is where you are and this is where to go, the Liverpool London directions and all of that is designed to help people to, to walk and give them the, the right directions. And obviously we, we the, before we had all had smartphones that they invented those. But you still need those wayfinding markers on the street you can't always be getting out your phone when you're lost if you don't want to do that so yeah we need more help and we need better junctions safer places to cross the difference that a, that a bad junction or a main road can make in terms of discouraging people from walking is, is huge actually while we're talking about junctions we're also just off the path of cycling super highway one mm -hmm which is um, not one of the more super of London cycling superhighways. <laughs> it is basically just some signed paths with the occasional filter. It's not segregated space or anything. I mean, do you want to talk about like what you, you and your party would want to do with London cycling infrastructure around? We definitely need more of the segregated, high-quality routes. And I think making those into a, into a map that, that you can use intuitively, like the, the tube map where they join up, would make an absolutely huge difference to people. At the moment, I think lots of people are using the ones that we've got, but many more could if we could join up the, the routes and make it more of, a, more of an obvious way to travel. But just in general, we do need more streets that are, that are quieter, that are more filtered for traffic, that are prioritised for walking and cycling in all our neighbourhoods. I think it's really important that we look at proposals that come from people like Living Streets and London Cycling Campaign for, for what they've done in Barcelona, for example, which is cells, where you've got the main roads where the cars can go and everything else is for walking and cycling and, and just short periods of delivery only. And that really does change the character of streets and how people think about them. It's a big, big step, that very cheap to implement, a few bollards, as we saw at the mm. beginning of this road and just changing the way that the traffic flows and what people think roads are for, I think that'd be brilliant. I've noticed actually this is something that Spanish cities in particular are very, very good at, is just kind of like establishing a hierarchy. So like even Madrid though there are still... Madrid did something very similar, didn't it? Yeah, but I've, I've seen similar kind of stuff well. in Bilbao, in mm. Salamanca. They just seem to have the hang of like making clear that even though cars can still use particular roads, it is not their space. Yeah. In a way, we haven't really got the hang of in this country. No, and obviously there's a grid system in, in Barcelona that's very easy to follow. But I think when you start to look at London, there are grids, there are obvious 
main roads, obvious neighbourhoods where through traffic should be prevented and we can start to start to build up that network. So we are recording this a good few months before before the election, but before that election, the election we're meant to be talking about, the mayoral election. But what else is what can you like give us any hints about what else is likely to be in the transport bit of your of your policy? I'm going to be putting forward some ideas on fair affairs. I mean, the last election, you'll recall, I wanted to completely flatten them over a period of nine years so that there's one zone for the whole of London. That's something I'm still really wanting to work on, particularly the, the way that people in outer London pay so much more to get to work in central London. I just think that's completely unfair. It needs, needs reducing and flattening. But what's the case for that? Because like, it's quite easy to kind of look at the status quo and think, well, it's a, it's a longer journey. You're taking up more, more, more space on the system paying more is, is fair, right? I, What's the case for flat fares? Well, I think people are, are being forced out from central London because of higher rents and people who are living further out and travelling in, okay, they travel for longer, but they're all, that means they're also paying with their time. So you want to charge them in time and money now, do you? I just think the whole thing needs to be turned on its head and people in central London paying the same fare as someone in outer London, it makes sense that they would then be discouraged from travelling short distances on the tube, giving them a discount for travelling short distances when there's walking and cycling that's been improved massively by the Green Mayor. doesn't make any sense either. So it's, it's turning the idea on its head and helping people to, to travel by tube rather than car when actually the economics at the moment makes it more sensible to share a, a, share a cab sometimes compared with the, the cost of trips in. What else is in the mix in the transport front? Can you give us any other examples? <laughs> I don't, I I'm don't. being incredibly vague because yeah. you haven't unveiled your policies yet. Yeah, exactly. So my policies, may, some of them may be out. Certainly on fares, I'm going to be doing something, something really useful. And it's certainly in terms of... I mean, you'll know that I'm a big fan of bringing in smarter road pricing, one that's not just a drive in and pay the same to travel around all day, low emission zone, but one that's actually about the distance you travel, the emissions of your car, but also the time of day, the kind of road you're on. We can have a smart system that, that genuinely is fair to people who drive and, and charges them appropriately, but also helps to, to, to raise money to pay for, for big investments mm. as well. That needs bringing in with privacy baked in from the start, so I'll be saying something about that as well. I mean, we talked a little bit about renting and about social housing. It's kind of a running theme of this of this podcast that, you know, we do probably need to build a lot more homes in a city like London to kind of meet demand. What are your thoughts on, on where and how we should be doing that? I think, I think the London plan largely has the right approach in lots of ways. It's talking about starting inside London, building near where we've got transport hubs. It's asking for higher densities nearer to, to good, connect, well-connected stations and things like that. That's, that's roughly the right approach. I think the numbers in it are very, very high. We've been warned by the government that we're going to be given even higher targets soon and we're going to be asked to do an early review. And it starts to get to the point where we really need to think about whether or not those numbers are right, whether we can do more with our existing homes to get more people to shift into the, the right-sized homes for them and actually free up some of the, the bigger homes that maybe older people are now living in. But all of this has to be done voluntarily and it could be done with like good leadership. And I think I suggested in the London plan and the housing strategy response that the mayor should have a bit of a strategy and a mission and get together with people to work out ways we can use our existing buildings better. Uh, in order to bring down the numbers of, of new homes required because I think we have as, well, probably as many bedrooms as we need and they're just not in the right places. I'm not entirely sold on this, I have to say. It'll I'm, contribute. I'm We're going to do everything we can. It's not just like a one-size-fits-all uh, silver bullet. This, yeah, but this is, this is an argument you hear a lot. I think there probably are enough bedrooms 
but like the homes are not just financial assets like you know elderly people living in like you know five bedroom houses still like having their kids and their grandkids over for christmas oh exactly and so it's so very yes. difficult to wind that so down the thing that's wrong in the current the, the housing market assessment the strategic the schmar as we call it okay. is that they're trying to make assumptions that there'll be some downsizing but that people who are older will downsize to one bedroom homes i.e just enough for them and that is you're completely right that people who are older need spare bedrooms because they want to be able to host their family their grandchildren they might need carers to come and come and stay in overnight and things and that's not currently catered for in the current estimates so we need many more two beds maybe three beds for people with with larger homes to to down downsize into otherwise they just won't do it because it has to be voluntary are there any other sort of big themes you're likely to be pushing over the next few months that you want to you point to at this point? I've kind of done all the stuff I'm nerdy about, so this is kind of the open question. I mean, the, uh, the other big thing is, is looking at policing, and we've been promised some new police officers, but I think it's very important we look at what we do with those officers and whether or not we replenish community policing and we change, try and reset the, the relationship between the police and people um, in, in different areas. And I think the mayor's quite proud of his violent crime task force, but I think when it comes down to it, he would recognise even that was a sticking plaster. We had some increases in violent crime. There weren't the officers to be able to upgrade the response in all the areas. And so they cobbled together this extra force from the, the transport policing that was going on. And that now sort of piles in when there's a problem and does some remedial work. And that isn't the way to build up trust. It isn't the way to, to actually do proper prevention. So if we are gonna get more officers, we need to think about how we deploy them to, to, to fill in the community policing. And also how we maybe have some conversations about the, the policing principles and the, and the approach we're actually going to take with people and do some proper engagement because I do think things have gone a bit wrong when we've had to we've had to just react to, to events and do things in just whatever way we can with the resources we've got we are in danger of, of losing track of what, what could be a good relationship that we build up between police and people I'd like to sort of try and, that's uh, kind of a sort of slightly uh, down note, so I don't really want to end there. Oh, car going past, get them off the road for a start. So, <laughs> so talk, talking of cars going past, as we record this, we're, we're a week on from the, uh, from Uber losing its license again. It's a very, a very sad story, obviously. I, I'm personally heartbroken to see a major tech giant being kicked into touch by the Mayor of London. I was just wondering if you guys had any, if the Greens had any particular thoughts on on that story. It was very clear what Uber needed to do to keep that license and they haven't done it. Some of the examples in the decision notice are quite are quite are quite shocking that they've they've allowed you know drivers to, to piggyback on each other's licenses. That should never happen. So they've messed it up. And this is bad for the drivers. And I think we should be working on how we can get apps like that to operate. I think we should we should have a system of, of being able to hail cabs a mini cabs from your phone but it's clear that uber the company themselves have, have messed up and they're not respecting the drivers they're not respecting our rules in london so this is the thing that that needs to be done we can't just mm. let them get away with everything i i mean i i'm not a politician so i can just come out and say i think uber is a terrible terrible company and i'm very much enjoying it getting it finding that actually like it is does have to deal with regulation in a city like london where it can actually yeah, make money there are rules yeah. And, and, you know, the, I mean, again, the, the black cabs are really furious with Uber because they have to stick to so many rules and Uber are just, just trying to use their weight to get mm. out of it. You know, if I, if I had the time, I'd try and put together a cooperative ride-hailing app to replace. If there's a sudden gap left by Uber and there's a lot of drivers looking for work, but I don't, I've got to run for mayor. And... 
Okay, well, good. good <laughs> Someone good, should do that. Good luck with that. If anyone out there wants to set up a, a cooperative ride-sharing app, then I'm sure I'm sure you'd be happy to help promote it. Yeah, I'm sure it's a lot of work, but yeah, but yeah it's, it shouldn't be left to venture capitalists who, who, who use really dodgy methods to try and take over a market. That's a much cheerier note to end on, isn't it? <laughs> Sean, thank you very much for taking me out for a walk. <laughs> thank you, John. You've been listening to Skylines, the podcast from City Metric, the New Statesman City site. It was presented and recorded by me, John Anage, and produced by Nick Hilton. You can find Skylines every two weeks on iTunes, Acast, or whatever other app you use to get your, your podcast. And while you're there, why not leave us a nice review to, to tell other people we're here? It, you know, it really helps people discover the show, and I'm a megalomaniac, so the more people I can get listening to this, the better, really. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.